Whitehall Glens Falls. It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Monday, February 12th. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Simpleman Scott Gray is asking the head of the SUNY system their, his plan for Podstam, which has cut nine programs as enrollment declines. I've got a community that sits here with tremendous uncertainty. The SUNY system in St. Lawrence County represents about 1,500 jobs. So are we committed to making sure that these college campuses do not fail? Fewer people in St. Lawrence County are signing up to foster kids in their homes, which means many kids are placed further away from their birth parents. Often those parents are relying on others to be able to facilitate that visitation. And visitation can't occur if the birth parent can't get there. Also, we'll preview an upcoming concert in Elizabethtown featuring three jazz musicians who got their start in the North Country back in the 80s. And our series on love in the North Country continues with a story from the Tug Hill. All of that's coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Adirondack Experience Museum on Blue Mountain Lake, presenting their Adirondack Avian Walk on Saturday, February 24th in Long Lake. Learn more at the adkx.org. And by Apothecary Chocolates, making gourmet chocolates by hand from all natural herbs, botanicals, and tree syrups, apothecarychocolates.com. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. It's been a tumultuous year for SUNY Potsdam. The State College in St. Lawrence County has seen a dramatic decline in student enrollment over the last decade. It's made significant cuts over the last six months. At a hearing last week, North Country Assemblyman Scott Gray asked the SUNY Chancellor about how it will move forward. Amy Fyreisel reports. In September, SUNY Potsdam announced a downsizing plan to make up a $9 million deficit. It's eliminated nine degree programs since then. In late January, the school cut seven staff positions. Those cuts have had a big impact on the local North Country community, says State Assemblyman Scott Gray. Gray represents the 116th district, which covers much of St. Lawrence and Jefferson counties. I've got a community that sits here with tremendous uncertainty. That's Gray last Thursday at a higher education public hearing on next year's budget proposal. He was questioning SUNY Chancellor John King Jr. He said prisons and higher ed fuel the local economy. The SUNY system in St. Lawrence County represents about 1,500 jobs, right? $93 million in payroll. So are we committed to making sure that these college campuses do not fail? The chancellor responded, yes. On Potsdam, we are committed to Potsdam's long-term success. He said SUNY Potsdam's downsizing plan is in place to ensure the college's future. Gray also asked about a SUNY-wide plan for dormant buildings, like the ones at SUNY Potsdam, which he called non-performing assets. Do we know what the burden is to the individuals by campus? Is there any uh, idea of taking over some of these fallow structures 
So SUNY campuses can focus on their mission, which is educating students, educating young adults, and not necessarily uh, worrying about empty, empty structures. King responded by asking Gray to follow up and said he would like to work with local legislators on the issue. King also acknowledged empty buildings as a drain on campus resources. You know, there are certainly campuses like a Potsdam uh, where there are buildings that, given the, the reduced enrollment, they're just not in use. And I think the challenge for those campuses, as you describe, is they're spending money to heat them, to preserve them, uh, but there's no students inside. Those empty buildings reflect the 40% decline in enrollment at SUNY Potsdam since 2010. Amy Feierisel, North Country Public Radio. years, fewer people in St. Lawrence County have been signing up to host foster kids. An agency that works in multiple North Country counties says it's seeing a similar problem across the region, and fewer foster parents means more challenges for kids. Lucy Grindon reports. About 200 children are in foster care in St. Lawrence County right now. Half are staying with relatives, some are in group homes, and about a third are staying with certified foster parents. But the county's been struggling to recruit new foster parents. Joe Sieber is the Department of Social Services commissioner. You know, we do educational sessions for prospective foster parents to come and learn about things. And we're just not getting as many people showing up. And fewer people showing up means fewer applications. Sieber says the number of kids entering foster care stays pretty consistent month to month. But fewer people are applying to be foster parents. The department's been trying to recruit more, but Sieber says it can be difficult to publicize the need. When you have the largest landmass county um, east of the Mississippi River with one of the smallest populations, you know, people are pretty spread out. Some foster care placements are facilitated by foster care agencies. Megan Bedour is a program manager with Fostering Futures, an agency that serves hundreds of children, mostly in St. Lawrence, Jefferson and Lewis counties. Bedore says they've been seeing a similar problem across the areas they serve. We've lost probably about a third of our foster homes in St. Lawrence County, actually across the region, if you will, in the last year. We don't have the homes that we need necessary to place the influx of kids that we're now seeing. Bedore says the decrease was partly due to a rush of adoptions that came after the height of the COVID pandemic. Some automatically upon adoption say, this is what my family needed, and at this time we're going to close our home. But then, when new kids enter foster care, if there aren't local foster parents available, Bedore says the agency has to place the kids farther away from their homes. And that can create a lot of challenges. You're disrupting, you know, everything that that child knows. Like established relationships with friends, teachers, and therapists. Bedore says every disruption sets a child back about a year in school. Keeping kids in their district is a priority, but it's not always possible. And there's another problem. Bedore says moving kids farther away from home also makes it harder for their birth parents to see them. It's not healthy to place a child in a car for a two-hour transport one way to come see their parent here and then two hours back for a one-hour visit. So birth parents have to be responsible for reaching their kids. Often those parents are relying on others to be able to facilitate that visitation. And visitation can't occur if the birth parent can't get there. 
Bedore says fostering futures needs more foster parents everywhere so more kids can stay closer to home when they need care. Potential foster parents have to pass background checks, but Bedore says there's no right or wrong type of foster household. A two-parent home, a child may do well in. We may have a child who does well in a one-parent home. Working or stay at home, again, there's no filter, if you will, in regards to what a foster parent needs to be before they become a foster parent. Bedore teaches free classes through Fostering Futures to help people decide if fostering would be right for them. In St. Lawrence County, Social Services Commissioner Joe Sieber says his department is trying to spread the word about the need for more foster parents. Since 2022, they've opened satellite offices in Governor and Messina, mostly to make their services more accessible, but also to communicate better with different small communities. Part of the reason that I'm working on uh, decentralizing some of our services here and getting some of our staff out into the farther reaches of the county is to be able to get uh, word out about issues like that and try to recruit some uh, potential foster homes across the county in areas that maybe we haven't been as, as successful. Sieber says the ultimate goal is always to help kids stay with their families by making sure that families have what they need to make a healthy, stable environment. To that end, the county has had success in reducing the overall number of kids in foster care in the past two years by about 100. Lucy Grindon, North Country Public Radio. Listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. It's eight ten. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. and I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up, music and conversation with keen jazz musician Matt Dunn, head of a show at Piano by Nature in Elizabethtown this weekend. That conversation in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. Plattsburgh pianist Adrian Carr. Northern Light is supported by the Village Mercantile, Saranac Lake, partnering with local nonprofit organizations to sell their merchandise through their e-commerce store. More at villagemerc.com.
Last month's windstorm, which knocked out power for thousands of people in Jefferson County, will cost area farms between 10 and $15 million. That's according to Jefferson County's agricultural coordinator. He told WWNY-TV that 28 farms were damaged during the January windstorm, which blew up to 80 miles per hour. No livestock or farmers were hurt. The jam- damage included an entire dairy barn blown two feet off its foundation. But with little federal or state aid, the county's agricultural coordinator says farmers have mostly been on their own and are doing their best to rebuild and move on. Five North Country communities have been certified as pro-housing communities by New York State. Plattsburgh, Lowville, Pulaski, Canton, and the town of North Elba, which is in the which is the home of Lake Placid, which is in the uh, the the town of Lake Placid, one uh, which is in the home of Lake Placid, won that designation by showing their housing stock has increased by at least 1% over the last three years. They joined 15 other New York communities, which will now receive priority when competing for state grants like the Downtown Revitalization Initiative and New York Forward. It's part of an incentive plan created by Governor Kathy Hochul, which hopes to increase the state's housing supply. The Jamaican bobsled team is living in Saranac Lake for the rest of their winter training season, but it won't be on the county's dime. The North Country Sports Council and Hotel Saranac, where the Jamaican athletes are staying, are picking up the tab. That's after Franklin County declined to create an official partnership with the team to pay for their lodging. The chair of the North Country Sports Council told the Adirondack Daily Enterprise that bringing athletes to Saranac Lake is exactly why the council was founded. The council and the Hotel Saranac say they want to establish a partnership with the Jamaican bobsled team for years to come. A beloved deli in the southern Adirondacks has officially joined the state's registry of historic businesses. Oscar's Smokehouse in Warrensburg specializes in smoked meats, cheeses, and mustard. Once a year, Denise Losey of South Colton drives two and a half hours through the mountains to get there. I'm a big fan of smoked meats, and in my opinion, Oscar's is the best. Losey also makes her own smoked meats at home, but she says Oscar's is worth the yearly trip so she can stock up on her favorite things. Either the bacon or the smoked pork chops, which are, oh, they're awesome. Oscar's was founded by two Canadian immigrants, according to the Historic Business Registry. It's been operating since 1943. We're sharing North Country love stories in the days leading up to Valentine's Day, and today we're diving into the NCPR archives. Almost a decade ago, reporter Natasha Haverty recorded the love story of Fran and Carol Yurden at their home on the Tug Hill in the town of Osceola. At the time of the interview, they'd been married for over 50 years. Haverty had a question for them. Do you guys believe that there's such thing as, like, one true love? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do no, without I wouldn't want to live with anybody else. I wouldn't want to be with anybody else. I ask Fran and Carol to tell me their love story. Turns out it started back when they were kids. Well, I actually seen him when he was a really small child. And he wouldn't talk to me. He's very bashful and he turned right around went right back in the woods. Right back in the woods? Yes. He barefoot and all. No, I don't remember that that particular incident, no. I was, you know, I was pretty shy. I pretty much kept to myself. <laughs> you know. How old were you? 
probably five. You know, I wanted to get to know him. I was like that anyway. It was always pick out the one that wasn't the same as everybody else. Years passed, and Carol was visiting her sister in Redfield, the next town over from here. She says she recognized Fran. He was just about to go into the service. It was quite stunning. So you guys, did you fall in love right away when you met each other? Did you say, oh, I know I want to be with that person? Um, I had several boyfriends, but yeah, he did look pretty special to me. And my girlfriends thought he was wonderful in that sailor suit. So they started going together, and Fran shipped out. He says it was the first time he'd ever left the Tug Hill. I'd never been anywhere. It was, it, it, you know, you get on a bus in Syracuse, and then you fly to Great Lakes. And then from there, I went to uh, Key West, Florida. And I'd never, I'd never been out of town anywhere. It was a, it's a shock to your system to see other people. I was, I, I was on base, like, in Key West for, like, three months, never left base. By then, Fran was engaged to Carol, who was waiting for him back here in Osceola. So he had to leave base to get back north and get married. He hitchhiked all the way from Key West yep. to get married. He, he hitchhiked just in time to walk down the aisle. Yeah, you know, he had no money, so you, you know, it cost too much, so you hitchhiked. The church was all ready for him. We were just waiting. And he walked in. <laughs> Do you remember seeing him get dropped off? Yes. My aunts were impressed. They thought he was the most handsome man they'd ever seen. And they all stood there kind of giggling and talking to each other, whispering. I go, well, he made it that time. So you must have been relieved, or did you ever doubt him? I know. No, because he, he would always he'd be there. You'd wait for the sailor man, wouldn't you? That was 50 years ago. Fran came home from the service a year later, and he and Carol never had to leave the woods again. Natasha Haverty, North Country Public Radio in Osceola. That was the love story of Fran and Carol Yurden. They were married in 1962. Carol passed away in November of 2021 at home with Fran and their children. Natasha Haverty produced this story in 2015. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Music and conversation ahead of the Larry Ham Trio performing in Elizabethtown this weekend. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note. We'll get help telling apart the two cheery songs of the American Robin and the Baltimore Oriole. That's just ahead at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. A cloudy week ahead, according to the Weather Service. Not quite as mild as uh, late last week, but highs today in the mid-30s for much of our region, light winds out of the southwest, lows in the 20s overnight tonight, tomorrow highs mid-30s, maybe some snow showers on Wednesday and a little cooler with highs in the 20s on Wednesday and uh, partly cloudy skies Thursday and Friday with highs around 30 right now in Canton, clouds and 32 degrees.
An upcoming jazz concert in Elizabethtown showcases three musicians with ties to the North Country. It's called Blue Hues and features the Larry Ham Trio with Larry Ham on keys, Tom Melito on drums, and Matt Dunn on bass. I caught up with Dunn, who says they all graduated from the Crane School of Music in the early 1980s. I mean, I, was, I had a great time in Potsdam. I really loved it. It was a great time to be there. It was like the flowering of jazz was going on big time there. Dunn, Melito, and Ham played two or three nights a week to packed houses in old haunts like Alger's Pub, The Depot, Smiling Dog, and The Wild Oak. kind of magical about the interplay of jazz musicians that are really listening to each other and trying to come together to you know make something new every time you play a piece some of it is planned but a lot of it just kind of happens spontaneously because we're all listening very carefully to each other and we know each other's playing pretty well so it's it's not hard to uh, pick up on what the other members of the trio are doing and be able to respond and it's, it's really the way jazz ought to be, in my opinion. There should, there's some planning and some structure, but there's a lot of listening and a lot of improvisation and a lot of just paying attention to what your teammates are doing. After college, Melito and Ham pursued prolific jazz careers in New York City. Dunn studied classical guitar and taught in San Antonio, Texas. When he retired in 2019, he and his wife moved back to New York, settled in Keene, and reconnected with Melito and Ham. Along the way, he picked up the upright bass when a good friend of his moved to Europe and asked him to babysit his bass. You know, the bass is a pretty physical instrument. You have to work hard to play it. The strings are big and heavy. Uh, and I love playing the bass in jazz because it brings me to the center of every beat. One thing that the bassist does in jazz is plays every beat. You're physically participating in each beat right with the drummer. And I find that to be a musically very rewarding experience. So I feel like I learned a great deal about music, not really intellectual concepts, but just experiences about the the kind of the core of the feel of jazz by playing the bass. Dunn composed new pieces that the trio will perform at the Blue Hughes show in Elizabethtown. He says he was inspired by the unusual harmony of Billy Strayhorn's piece Isfahan in Duke Ellington's Warm Valley. write what I love and uh, what I'm what's kind of in my ears you know in my ears and in my heart is what that's the music that I'm drawn to and I try to make it very sincere and 
you know, intelligent um, and something that, again, that musicians, like professional musicians, appreciate and enjoy playing and that audiences really enjoy hearing. Sometimes those are two different goals in a way. But for me, they have to be united. people and why does someone listen to music what are they trying to get and why do we spend all this time and energy in trying to compose and write this music and it's really it's hard work to write good music what are we trying to do here and really the answer is we're trying to communicate with each other audiences want music that speaks to them Larry Ham, Tom Alito, and Matt Dunn. They're performing at 7 o'clock on Saturday and Sunday afternoon at 3 at the Hand House Parlor in Elizabethtown. And then again Monday evening at St. Lawrence University. We'll have all the details later today at our website, ncpr.org.
It's 28 minutes past 8. This is Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. There's more jazz coming up later this week. For all we know, a live jazz quartet will be at Historic Pickens Hall in Hubleton on uh, Thursday, the 15th, the day after thanks or the day after Valentine's Day at Pickens Hall. Thursday, the 15th, 7 to 9 p.m., for all we know, with music in Pickens Hall. And kind of a nightclub cafe sort of setting with tables, dancing, refreshments. The show from 7 to 9, featuring the music of For All We Know, a live jazz performance ensemble, eclectic variety of American songbook standards, blues, Latin, contemporary jazz standards. Thursday night, the night after Valentine's Day, the 15th, 7 to 9 at Pickens Hall in Hubleton. That's it for the show. Music and conversation does continue later this morning here on North Country Public Radio with a look back at the life of George Gershwin. His famous Rhapsody in Blue is marking its 100th anniversary, excuse me, anniversary, and we'll have a special musical celebration of one of America's most beloved composers. That's later this morning on 1A between 10 and noon. I'm Monica Sandresky. And I'm Todd Mo. Thanks for listening and be well.